All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. Uh, Before we get into the word this morning, I just want to take a moment here and just pause and acknowledge something that uh, is really heavy. And um, sadly, this past week, um, our dear sister Joyce Peterson went home to be with the Lord. And um, just want to express our condolences and um, our prayers um, to the Peterson family, to Kurt and Rosalind and to the whole family. Um, Her funeral will happen here on Wednesday the 31st at 11 o'clock right here in this room. And um, I just ask that you would um, take some time um, to lift that family up to the Lord. And let's do that now, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, you have shown us in so many ways um, in your word and in life in general that we do not grieve as those without hope because we are well aware of what you have given us. And Lord, I thank you that um, we have confidence this morning that Joyce is with you. We thank you that you have your loving arms around her. We thank you for eternity. Thank you for drawing her to yourself, giving her a deep faith. Thank you for her impact, for the love and compassion that she had for others, for her devotion to this church and the people in it. And I want to lift up Kurt and Rosalind in particular to you and Joyce's brother and sister and the rest of the family and just ask, Father, that your spirit of peace would be on them constantly right now, that you would give them strength, that you would give them peace, that you would give them hope, that you would remind them every single moment of the hope of eternity. So, Lord, I just pray for... Your hand to be on them in the weeks ahead here as they adjust, as they make plans and um, carry out what they need to right now to, to celebrate her life and to remember well and to grieve together and support each other. We just ask for you to be in the middle of all of it. And I ask for that for this church as well, um, that you would just be very real to us right now, reminding us of who you are and all that you promise. Uh, We just lift up the Petersons to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, who made this eternal life possible. Amen. All right, uh, we are going to jump right back into our series this morning, and so you're going to need a Bible, so get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around, and they will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in, and if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep that one and take it with you. I'm thrilled to see how many Bibles have gone out the door recently, and uh, um, that's a, it is a good thing. It's something to celebrate. All right, this morning we come to the destination of our pilgrimage with Israel and the destination of our sermon series. This is the final psalm in our series of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent. These psalms were sung by the Israelites three times a year as they made their way to Jerusalem for each of three festivals. And so after many years of doing this, I would imagine that these psalms had become quite familiar to the Israelites. 
And hopefully, we're at least a little familiar with these psalms now. Uh, We only had a few months to let it all sink in, but I honestly believe that a lot has sunk in for us. These have been very rich psalms, full of perspective, full of history, full of praise, full of hope. And I continue to be amazed at how deep the cave is once you start exploring even one short chapter of God's Word. Honestly, we've been given such a, a great opportunity to explore God's Word. No one's trying to stop us. No nationwide bans on owning a Bible. Pastors aren't being thrown in prison, thankfully. Churches aren't being set on fire. We live in a place of extreme privilege and freedom when it comes to following Jesus and getting into God's word. And may we never, ever, ever take that for granted. Every week in this series brought new insight for me, new lessons, new appreciation for the rich history of God's people. And to make this even more meaningful, I am one of those people. You and I are God's people, and our stories woven into God's story were always meant to have an impact. And so it's very rewarding to see where our place is in God's story, to be able to connect with the stories from thousands of years ago and find our place there, see what God's been doing, is doing, and is going to do. And that story isn't, being done, isn't done being lived out. When I say we've reached our destination this morning, that destination is truly just a watering station on the, the marathon course. There's so much more to come, and we'll get into some of that in just a little bit here. But let's go first to our psalm, Psalm 134, and see what God has for us there. It's a short psalm again. But once again, it has opened up some meaningful processing in in my thoughts, and I'll hopefully pass some of that along to you this morning. Psalm 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And that's it. That's all there is right there. Uh, There was a Psalm 134 song that was released back in, I believe, 1975, according to one source that I found. It made its way into some hymnals. Um, It became a youth group standard for us when I was a teenager. (laughs) It was an echo song, um, dramatically overplayed and sung, and forever burned into my psyche. (laughs) Um, That may be the case for some of you. Anybody relate to that? That song is just like burned in here. And for that reason, we're going to steer clear of that song today. (laughs) And I know it's already too late for some of us anyways. The earworm is is at work. First of all, uh, let's look at the connection between this psalm and the rest of the songs of ascent. If we were writing this series of psalms, we'd probably go ahead and name this psalm the conclusion. They didn't do that when it was written, but there's no doubt that these 15 psalms belong with each other as a set, and Psalm 134 is the final installment. So keep Psalm 134 in front of you and your Bible's there, um, and I'll make some connections for us now. Um, First of all, obviously, blessing is a theme in this psalm. 
It shows up in each of the three verses, and that theme also showed up in Psalms 124, 128, 129, 132, and 133. Blessing is all over the songs of ascent. To bless someone means that you pronounce good things upon that person. And the exchange of blessing that we've seen earlier in the series is captured so clearly here in today's psalm. Um, I read a great summary of how this blessing's taking place. Even in this one psalm, there is an exchange of blessings taking place. When God blesses us, he reviews our needs and he meets them. When we bless God, we review his excellencies and we worship him. And this psalm guides us to worship him. And we're going to have a, a time of worship after I'm done up here. It's the right way to end this series. The term servant then is used to refer to God's people here and in Psalm 123 and 132. It describes our relationship with a master that we can fully trust. It highlights our humility before God. In today's psalm, it addresses all of us. We are God's children, members of his kingdom, servants in his story. And we can fully, confidently trust our master. He has mercy on us and his hand is on us every single moment. He is our king, and we are his loyal servants, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Then the word stand is used in our psalm today, and standing shows up in Psalm 122 as well. And interestingly, this is a word that is sometimes translated minister in the Bible. So it's not just a random reference to someone's body position at the moment. This use of stand comes also with a sense of acceptance and security. Because we are so lovingly accepted by God, we stand in his presence. Um, the Israelites stood in the temple. God welcomed them there and gave them the security that they needed to keep from falling on their faces in fear. And they ministered there to God and to each other. They carried out his will for them in his temple through praise and giving and serving and all kinds of other things. And there's also a connection between Psalm 134 and Psalm 122 in the use of the term, the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 proclaims the invitation, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here they are in Psalm 134, standing in the house of the Lord. And there's another connection through the series in the use of the descriptive term maker of heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121 and 124 also incorporate this term. And what is it pointing to? Help. It's pointing to God's help. Throughout the series, we're directed to the source of our help. And that source is the creator of heaven and earth. These psalms are making it clear that our help does not come from the created realm. It comes directly from the creator. Now, besides the connections back to other psalms in this series, there are a couple things stated in Psalm 134 that need some clarification. And as we've discovered multiple times in this series, clarification 
of cultural things, historical words or statements has been rich and full of meaning. And so let's do it again. In verse 1, we're faced with a statement addressing God's people. It says that they stand by night in the house of the Lord. The Israelites fulfilled God's directive by traveling to Jerusalem to experience God's presence in the temple. They stood in the temple courtyard, all good so far, but why the words by night? Why wouldn't they stand by day in the house of the Lord? Well, a little understanding goes a long way. Having completed their pilgrimage, the Israelites were obviously eager to get to the temple. I can imagine them thinking the sooner the better after making that journey to Jerusalem. Like first thing in the morning. Let's get to the temple first thing in the morning. If the day actually started with the morning. But days were measured differently back then. Even as far back as Genesis 1 verse 5. Where it says that there was evening and there was morning the first day. A day started at sunset. And so the Israelites started their day in the evening. They stood in the temple at the start of the day when it was getting dark and stood by night in the house of the Lord. And then in verse 2, God's people are instructed to lift up their hands to the holy place, not in the holy place. So what's that about? Well, in 1 Kings 8, Solomon moves the Ark of the Covenant, we talked about the Ark recently, into the temple from the resting place that David provided for it in Zion, which was a temporary place. Everything from the tent that David made for it was moved into the impressive temple, and it was transported to the most holy place in the heart of the temple. And it says that at that moment, a cloud came out of nowhere and filled the temple. It was the presence of God being made known. It was an amazing scene. So Solomon blessed God's people there, and he dedicated the temple to the Lord. In that prayer of dedication, Solomon says, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. We have to remember that the temple was where the presence of God dwelled. Their prayers were, be direct, were to be directed to him. And so, since they couldn't enter the most holy place and see God face to face, they were to pray toward that place, toward the temple, toward the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple. Now, once again, please consider just how privileged we are. God is with us wherever we go. There is never a time when we can't pray because we're too far from God or we're facing the wrong direction. By his spirit, God lives in us and he is as close to us as the air that we breathe. No pilgrimage no one having to pray on our behalf. We just open our mouths, our hearts, our minds, and we speak to our God and Father. That is amazing. Again, something we cannot take for granted. Okay. Now we need to spend some time on the purpose of Psalm 134 and what it has said to me as I've looked back over this series 
There's an exchange taking place in this song. That exchange is a blessing for a blessing. Twice, we're told to bless the Lord. Then once in verse 3, God's blessing is declared on us. This is the end goal of the journey to Jerusalem. This is the end goal of our journey in this series. We are to bless the Lord as his blessing is declared on us. And remember that to bless someone means to pronounce good things upon that person. The Israelites face some obstacles to this exchange of blessing. So do we. Early in our series, we saw that the people of God face some strong opposition in the form of those who hate peace. And there were other threats to their security that were mentioned in this series. The early Psalms in this series focused on the help that was needed. There was a rescue mindset expressed. Where does our help come from? Rescue us from those who have afflicted us for a very long time. Things like that are things that we've heard and seen in this series. And so off I went, um, tripping down memory lane as, and reflecting on where I was long ago in my history. And no surprise, um, I needed to be rescued. That was really clear. I was afflicted by things like depression and loneliness and our culture and me. I had a pretty dark period in my life when I felt invisible, forgotten, worthless, and a host of other negative things. I was not where God wanted me to be. And I discovered that he didn't want me to be in a place where there were no challenges in my life. That was never his point. He wasn't disappointed with my circumstances. I just wasn't experiencing him in the midst of my circumstances. That's what he wanted for me. God wanted to share himself with me. And I'm discovering that this is at the core of God's blessing on his people. God wants to share himself with us generously. When we first meet him, God sort of starts out as someone new in our lives. He has a place now in our reality. It's a significant place. He's the source of a lot of new things for us. And this great exchange begins. Our new life replaces our old life. Stated very directly, life replaces death. That's the exchange. We no longer have to fear death as an end to our lives. We begin a new eternal life thanks to Jesus. He took death out of the picture for us when it comes to the sting and terror of death. And so we gather here this morning with complete certainty that Joyce Peterson is now more alive than she's ever been. And we praise God for exchanging Jesus' life for hers and for the gift of eternal life that he gave her. But there's more that's exchanged. We give up the way of the world in exchange for God's way. We choose Jesus who is referred to as the way. When we surrender to God, we invite him to take over guiding our steps and his direction leads us somewhere. 
And that somewhere is vastly more meaningful than what this temporary life offers us. We follow a road that's been created for our blessing. Not just some road that's meant to bring us the world's wealth, recognition, and happiness. It's a road that provides contentment and purpose and significance and so much more. God even promises to exchange our way of thinking for Christ's way of thinking. The mind of Christ becomes available to us and can be a daily part of what's happening in our lives. And that's a much better offer than simply counting on where our imperfect, limited minds lead us. We begin to take our thoughts captive and invite God's work in our minds along with every other aspect of our lives. Priorities are exchanged. Some of what mattered to me before I surrendered to Jesus has very little value in my life anymore. What was once important to me is being replaced with what's important to God. There's a growing desire in my life to live for him, not for me. Me at the center is exchanged for God and others at the center of my life. My time is being turned over to him. My resources are being turned over to him. My relationships are being turned over to him. Much is being exchanged as I'm becoming more and more like Jesus thanks to God's redemptive work in me. And all of this is going somewhere. Every day it's going somewhere. When we surrender our lives to God and we trust the work of Jesus in redeeming us, we begin to move in a new direction. We begin to move. We haven't arrived. Being adopted into God's family doesn't simply mean that we've received our get-out-of-jail-free card. And so we're set Think about the whole idea of being adopted by God. Rather than just fixating on what we were rescued from and, and then doing nothing with that, we embrace the newness of life that we've received in this great exchange that happens. That new life comes with a new father. It comes with new brothers and sisters. It comes with a new mission. It comes with new perspective, new goals, new values, new priorities, new understanding. And it comes with new power. Unlike the power, completely unlike the power that we were dependent on before meeting Jesus. Starting the first Sunday in June, we're going to spend the summer together digging into the power that we've been given in this exchange. We're going to study the first five chapters of the book of Acts together, and we're going to take a good hard look at God's Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, how he impacts every aspect of our lives. I think this is a natural next step for us as a church family. I think we can easily fail to realize the power that's available to us. Chapel Hill Church was put here to make a difference for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more I see around me, the heavier the burden becomes on my heart. 
I see a world sinking more deeply into a desperate state of emptiness and sadness and loneliness and so much more. At the same time, I see the Western church losing its influence in a society that's running from their only source of hope. And we have that source. And I firmly believe that God is doing something here at this church. And we're swimming upstream being equipped and accompanied by a God who wants to use us to bring hope to the world that he created and that he longs to redeem. And no matter how strong the force is that's leading this world further down the path of emptiness and sadness and loneliness and more, there is no force on earth that compares to the power of God's spirit. And we need to get closer to him. And more in tune with him than ever before. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our journey. This is our path. We're not called to gather and and only thank God for what he's done. We're to seek him together for what he's doing and what he's going to do. And how we can join him in all of it. God's plan for this church is an active, ever-progressing, ever-growing, ever-maturing plan. And so is his plan for each and every one of us. So I want us to ask ourselves these questions this morning. Where am I going? What direction is my life taking and who determines that direction? Who am I becoming? Have I conceded that I am already the best me that I can be and so nothing needs to change? Or am I seeking God's design for who I'm becoming? Am I surrendering every day to the journey of transformation? Is the image of Jesus my goal and my desire? What am I doing Am I carrying out God's plan for my life or my plan? Or worse yet, this culture's plan? What are my priorities? How are my days ordered? What's valuable to me? Ultimately, brothers and sisters, is there an ongoing, daily, moment-by-moment exchange that's taking place in our lives? Is my goal to see more of him and less of me in my life? Am I growing, maturing, transforming, and who is doing that essential work? These are questions for every one of us, for every day. And in order to see those questions answered positively with confidence, we're going to have to see our lives as a journey. We're going to have to see our lives as a pilgrimage, seeking God's presence, seeking God's power has to be our goal. The Israelites made these pilgrimages three times a year. It was important to them. It was part of their tradition. God's presence was a priority for them. Now God has made this pilgrimage so easy for us. 
He's made himself so accessible. God has taken the distance away and put himself directly in front of us every moment of every day. But church, our calling is still to seek him. The closeness between God and his creation has dramatically improved over time. God has done his part in drawing near to us. So church, let's do our part and draw near to him. Psalm 134 speaks so clearly of the exchange of blessing. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by day and night, every moment of every day in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands in praise, recalling his excellencies, and bless the Lord. And may the Lord who created you and all that you see and even so much you can't see, may the Lord bless you. May you receive what he's sharing with you. In church, he's sharing himself. And may you and I share ourselves with him in this great exchange of blessing. May the Lord cause the seeds that he's planted in our hearts and minds through the songs of ascents to grow and to produce fruit today and for the rest of our lives until that day when he will live and reign here with us for all of eternity. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now as we enter into a time of worship together. Great, great way to end this series. Uh, Let's pray together as they come and prepare. Take just a moment now in the quietness of this moment between you and God. Just say to him, offer up to him anything that he's laid on your heart related to the things that we've looked at in this series or today. What do you have to to give to him? Is it time just to say to him, God, Father, I will seek you more than I ever have. Lord, I do thank you for all that you've done, all that you've shown us, all of the things that you've opened up to us in this incredible series of 15 psalms. As usual, I'm blown away. This is a tiny, tiny little fraction of the Bible. And I think back on all the ways that you've shown yourself to us and things you've taught us about you, about us, about your plan, about your church, your kingdom. I think about all the ways you've reminded us that even though we're sojourners in this world for the time being and it's a tough place to be, you have everything that we need. You are everything that we need to flourish and to do so in an unlikely way in this unlikely place. 
Thank you for your guidance through your word. Thank you for your guidance through your spirit who dwells here in our midst. Lord, I just ask that the things that you've shown us would not just quickly fade away. But you would help make those a part of our DNA. Part of who we are. Part of where we're going. What we're doing. I pray that we'd look back and read these psalms again and again. Invite you to continue teaching us and showing us. And as we move into a new series in a couple of weeks, that you would just continue what you're doing. Open up your word to us. Show yourself through your spirit to every one of us, to us as a church, and guide us along the path that you have created for us. We are yours. We are your servants. And we kneel at your feet and ask that you would have mercy on us, that you would take care of us, that you would grow us up and mature us, we do it with great confidence because we know we can trust you. Thank you for giving us that confidence. Thank you for being so faithful to us. Our desire now is to worship you, to acknowledge your excellencies, to acknowledge the things you've shown us through this series and celebrate them. Lift up your name, lift up our hands, lift up our voices, our thoughts, our emotions. And let you know how much we love you. Thank you for being all that we need. And we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.